Mike Rowe here with a radical idea. If you want to see more companies make more things in this country, buy more things from more companies who make things in this country. I refer in this case to the incredible t-shirts, sweatshirts, blue jeans, and more made by my friends at American Giant. Everything American Giant makes is made in the United States. And right now, you can take 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com slash Mike. That's American-Giant.com slash Mike. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. You got problems that you ought to be concerned with. Hoo-ah! You don't know how you're supposed to earn it or what to do with it or how to keep it. You're a freak with a dark, shameful secret. But you're not the only one. Get your hidden financial fears with a blast of sun. Now your healing has begun. It's back with money with Gabby Dunn. Hello, I'm Gabby Dunn, and this is Bad With Money, a show about finances and feelings where we don't talk down to you. We've talked a little about investing. We've done the 101s here. So now let's get into some jargon. And that jargon is also, you guessed it, 101. What the hell are dividends? According to my dad, dividends are what my grandfather believed in even before God themselves. If you want to invest, he said, you must get stocks with dividends. I apologize to Pepe Beyond the Grave, but I did not know what that meant until 2021. Like late 2021. Dividends, I would say. Of course, of course. What is that? And once I stopped pretending I knew and started asking questions, my financial life became infinitely better, as I'm sure you've all tracked on the years I've been doing this show. So, dividends. It turns out they're not that complicated. It's just, once again, financial vocabulary that is confusing for no reason. Stuff like that has stuck out to me the most as I've learned more and more about the financial world. It's that the people working at the top of Wall Street are not really doing anything. And you can come fight me on that, but I really don't think you're doing as much as you say. They just want you to believe they're doing so much that you couldn't possibly understand it. And that lies what keeps them in business, keeps a bajillion dollar industry afloat, and keeps all of us out of it. I'm serious. It sounds like a bold claim, but... The more I've become empowered to handle and understand my own finances, the more I realize that truly, truly, the already wealthy people who dominate these industries are making their easy jobs seem hard, so you keep hiring them and don't do it yourself. The most I do to manage my investments is truly click a button once a week, if that. Sometimes it's three buttons. Ooh, ah. I do know by now pretty much how this became a whole industry and lifestyle and personality trait for a lot of powerful people, but man, oh man, is it bordering on a scam. Look, of course, not all of it is a scam. Some people value having someone else manage their money and invest for them, but sincerely, it should not be the default for it to be set up that way. You can just do it. And one thing you should know about is dividends. So first, CEO of Investiva, Kiana Danielle, explains to us all we could ever want to know about dividends. By the end of this episode, we will all understand dividends. We might even know what these mean. Buy limits, ETFs, stop losses, margin, margin calls. That being said, this entire episode isn't just about words. Both women are giving up secrets from behind the scenes of the bullshit stock market. Wall Street tea is spilled all over the place. Everything is made up. These interviews were like a massive debunking, and it made me want to scream. Our second guest is Anna-Sophie Hartvigsen, co-founder of Female Invest, who joins Bad With Money from Copenhagen to share just how global the gender wealth gap is. 
it's not only a U.S. problem like I often talk about it being on this show. That's right. We're getting international. Also, she shares how to emotionally disconnect from the intensity of the roller coaster of the stock market. Do not panic. Do not panic. Plus, and because I asked so very nicely, Kiana explains inflation. I've heard the term all the time now because gas prices went sky high and I just paid $80 to fill my car. And this week, I finally got a succinct explanation of it. Isn't that what we do here on Bad With Money? So first, Kiana. My name is Kiana Danielle. I'm the CEO of Investiva, and I've written five books on investing, wealth creation, everything money. How did you get started in focusing on investing? This is uh, back in the day when I was living in Japan, and I actually didn't have a financial background. I was an engineering student, and that is when the 2008 market crash happened, and I got interested in the fact that banks were going bankrupt and people were losing money. And I heard that if I exchange my Japanese yen for the US dollar as it's dropping, I could make money. And I accidentally did. And I made $10,000 when the markets were dropping. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is super cool. So that was enough to pique my interest. And I decided to move to New York, work on Wall Street, and the rest is history. How did you make money off of doing that? So... You know how when you go to a different country, you can exchange your U.S. dollar for a different currency, right? And then sometimes when you go there, especially back in the day when we have cash, now with credit cards, you wouldn't really know. But like you would exchange your money for at a price and then you would come back and the price had fluctuated the two currencies versus one another and you would either lose or make money. So I understood this because I was living in Japan and so I was like, oh my gosh, if the U.S. dollar is losing its value because of this economic crash, maybe I should buy some U.S. dollar at a cheaper price. So like that is that was my intention. And I was talking about this to one of my friends and I was like, should I like go and just like exchange my Japanese yen for you for the U.S. dollar? And he's like, yeah, sure. And then if you do it through a broker and he started like babbling about like some sort of technical trading stuff that I didn't understand. But what it essentially meant was if I shorted the US dollar versus the Japanese yen, I go on leverage, <laughs> I can make money. And I had no idea what that meant, but I did it and I made money and I was like super excited about it. Wow, that I love that everyone else is panicked and you're like, I've actually benefited from this. Jesus. It was super high risk. I do not advise anybody do that without doing their due diligence. I got lucky, obviously the first time. Uh, Next time when I tried it, I clearly didn't get lucky. And that was important lesson for me to understand that I need to understand what I'm doing before I get into this. But the lesson was that there is opportunity in the market. And then another thing was that, you know, people were saying that because of the market crash and the recession and the central banks of the governments are printing money, which means inflation is increasing, which means your value of your money is going down. So you need to like invest. Otherwise, um, it's like setting your money on fire. So I was like, okay, I need to learn about this thing and do it on my own because I wanted to protect my money. So it was a combination of things that all triggered by the 2008 market crash. Can you talk a little bit, we like sometimes just define things here, uh, for what is inflation, just so people know what you're talking about? Absolutely. So inflation is the reason why your parents paid two cents for a gallon, gallon of milk and you have to pay like $2. That's inflation. It means what you could have buy back in the day with a dollar, with a hundred dollar, now you no longer can. You have to pay more for it. It means the cost of stuff has gone higher, which also means that the value of your money has gone lower. It's like vice versa. So what the governments typically do when crazy things happen in the economy, they try to fix it by pumping out more money. So the Fed, the federal government, and the central banks of all countries, they can literally print money out of thin air. Like most people think that money is like backed by something. Like the US dollar is not backed by anything. Like the Fed can just go and like print money, literally. So that, because of law of supply and demand, so you know, if, if there's like a lot of something and then 
not no not many people want it then the value of it goes lower then its value drop but if but if there is like less of something and a lot of people want it the its value goes higher so they're supplying our monetary system they're pumping money which means the value of money goes down which means inflation goes higher i've started looking at dividends which is a word that i could not have told you what it meant 2 years ago uh, so for everyone who is on the journey with me here, what is a dividend? So a dividend is basically kind of a company bribing you to keep their stocks. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds crazy, but it's real. So it's, it's money. It's a little bit of money that a company pays you for holding their stocks and not selling it, right? And so what happens, for example, you, you don't see companies that are like super highly valuated and there are like super high growth potential at the beginning, like giving out dividends. Like Tesla at the beginning wouldn't give, it, give away the dividends, like Apple wouldn't give it because they know that their stock itself is so valuable that people don't want to sell it. There are other companies who are not as hypey, not maybe, not, not, not only just because that like the company, the company might actually even be good. But it's not as hyped up anymore. People aren't as crazy about it. And people might consider like selling it. So that is when the investor relations of the company decides to hand out a quarterly, typically it's a quarterly payment based on the number of shares of the stock that you have. So typically it's quarterly, some stocks pay a monthly dividend, which basically means, for example, for every one stock that you keep, they call it the dividend yield. It's a percentage of the price of that stock. Um, so it could be like $2 or something, right? So they pay you that. And the more stocks that you hold, obviously that dividend is going to accumulate. And then the cool thing about that is that if dividend investing is your strategy and there are like, again, dividend payment, dividend investing could be right for you and it could, it could also be wrong for you. So I no longer actually invest in dividend stocks and I can tell you about why. You can actually, so first of all, you have to pay a tax on the dividend and then you can reinvest it. So it's a method of compounding. So you, you, instead of like putting more money into your investment account, you can just reinvest the dividends. And then some other people like retired people. So for example, for my dad, I invest in dividend uh, stocks because then he can take out the dividends on a monthly basis and that can like pay his rent or it can pay for something that he want to invest, he want to actually get it out and use it, right? So there are different strategies based on your age, your financial situation, your financial goals, but that long answer to your question about dividends. So he's old enough where the, the, if he takes the dividend payment out, he doesn't pay taxes. That's not the reason why. Um, the reason for him is that, so it is lower risk. Dividend stocks are typically like, so you know how risk and reward are directly correlated. So if I invest in something that is super hyped up and that I see a great future for, but it could take five to 10 years for it to mature and have like its actual growth capital gain potential. Like my dad is 80 five oh my gosh i'm like okay I, I want him to enjoy his money now like i don't want him to sit on something that could turn into like for my daughter who's three i invest in more higher risk stocks um so it really depends on that and then um but also so so he has to pay but if your brokerage account so we haven't talked about that but if you're uh, like you're investing in a Roth IRA that is tax deferred so your growth you're not going to pay dividend uh, pay taxes on the dividend so again I I'm, I have no problem investing in dividend stocks right okay so the dividend so yes so you stopped uh, pay, uh buying dividend stocks because you didn't want to pay taxes on them that and also so here's what happened right so my risk tolerance went higher as my business started to grow and i started making a lot more money i have some dividend stocks but it's not my investment strategy like i, I just have some in dividend stocks just like first of all because they also are stocks that I'm confident in and companies that I actually support and I want to be invested in. So like, I don't go strictly after dividend stocks. If a stock that I'm interested in happens to buy, to pay a dividend, I'm like, great. It's not like a part of my core strategy. Yeah. The reinvesting of that stuff is something that I just started learning this year. Like, uh, I do some covered call writing and uh, the dividend, the premiums from that, and then the dividend payments, rather than, this is just for my listeners, like rather than putting 
more of your own money into the stock market, it's slow goings. It takes patience. But you can take those payments and put them back into buying more stocks and you're not actually spending any more of your own quote unquote money to do so. So I'm like slowly building up uh, my Apple stock by selling covered calls on AMD. And that's something that I was like, oh my God, this is an amazing trick. Like I'm not actually putting any more money into the account. I'm just kind of taking these small risks or going very slowly in order to like accumulate more stocks. And once I figured that out, it like clicked in my head a bit more. Um, But I think you and I are probably in different places in terms of like the learning curve and the ability to, um, to, to shoulder risk. But so a stock pays dividend, uh, a dividend because the company wants more people to, to hold on to the stock. So is that why they would pay monthly versus quarterly? Well, typically, yeah, of course, for example, a stock like Realty Income, uh, or the symbol is O, it pays on a monthly basis. It's a real estate company. And um, I actually hold some of that because I want to be exposed to the real estate market. And yeah, I mean, typically the reason why they pay a dividend is because we're doing. they want to show that they're doing well financially and they're giving something back, even if their stock isn't really growing. There's always some sort of risk. So you always want to understand your risk tolerance before you get in and have confidence in the future of the company and understand that they have actually potential for growth. Can uh, mutual funds pay dividends or like ETFs? Some of them do. So (laughs) they do, but actually they pay lower than if you go and purchase that stock typically individually, unless the ETF is specifically a dividend paying ETF. I'm not that into ETFs. I prefer to select my own assets. I I like to be very confident about the company that I'm buying and I want to know exactly how much I'm buying because to me, like being confident about what you invest in gives you that much more peace of mind, which is my way to invest and like just be able to chill and let it grow and be patient. So um, typically, if you look at a, a an ETF or an index fund that pays dividend, if you look into the stocks that they're holding in their basket, some of those stocks actually pay a higher dividend than what that index fund is paying. So one trick is actually like going and just seeing the index fund that you're interested in, what they're holding, and then just go and buy the individual stock. You can buy fractional shares. If you want to like set it and forget it, that's one thing. But if I guess if you're trying to like game the most you can out of it. Yeah, why wouldn't you just buy the individual? Well, no, the thing is I still set and forget my investment, my stocks. I don't check my account every day at all. I manage, my portfolio is now $5 million. I manage the whole thing one hour per month. One hour per month. Remember that every time that you purchase a stock or cryptocurrency for that matter, you are voting with your dollars for the future of that company. So an index fund that you want to set and forget could include some companies that go completely against your moral beliefs. How much of what you make are you putting back into the stock market? Like to how, you know, to get to 5 million, let's say. So every, so all the money that I make through my business. So I have my emergency fund. I have a personal emergency fund for our family and one for my business because like I have employees now. And then... Um, after I pay for the business, pay my employees and pay for my lifestyle, every, everything else goes directly to my investment. Like I try to not keep any money at all in my bank because, so the thing is, oh, people ask me, what am I going to do if I want to like buy a house? You can borrow against your investment portfolio. This is the thing. This is what I'm trying to figure out. We've been taught that the stock market is this like thing that people know and it's so like high-minded to know it. But then you look at what people are doing and they're just sitting there watching money make money. Is that a skill? It is. The skill is knowing. The skill is knowing, but... Do you know why they make it sound so intimidating? To keep people out. Because if you learn how to do it on your own, they're going to get out of job. Like money managers are not going to have a job. Exactly. So I learned this. I worked on Wall Street and then I got fired. But I knew for a fact that the money managers, they pretend to educate you, but then they also, they, and they do educate you. 
But then they also throw some like intimidating like BS, like bullish and bearish. Like even those to me is like, what's a bull and what's like, these are terms that don't need to be. Markets go up and down. There is no need for it to have a Wall Street code. Second, it is to your bank's benefit if you keep your money in their bank. Okay, so this is what happens, right? Leaving your money in the bank, people think it's safe. But because of what we just talked about, inflation, leaving your money in the bank is like setting it on fire. Because at this rate of inflation, which is 7% right now, it means your dollar's value, your $100 bill, next year is going to be worth $70. And I started like talking to my like banker friends, banking friends, like these people who went and studied pure math in Harvard or something. I'm like, do you like, just be honest with me. Like I would ask them like, uh, like over cocktails or like wine or something. I'm like, do you seriously like use math? And I'm like, no. <laughs> It's just a fancy degree that they can like then say, oh, I'm a mathematician, right? They're making your money work for them while they advertise, hey, hey, keep your bank, keep your money in the bank. The most math you need in order to invest, I'm not joking, is second grade. How do you, how would you talk to someone who like, doesn't have a high amount of income saved every month and is scared. Cause like to me, it's starting to make sense in terms of like putting more things in the bank, but also like my partner is like, please don't invest more than we have. But then I'm sort of on your side about this, but like, it's terrifying, right? There was a day, you know, I have like in my, uh, my TD Ameritrade, right? I have $20,000 in there, which and one day it went down to 17 and I was despondent, despondent. And then, you know, a few weeks later, it went back up to 20 and everything was fine. But how do you talk to someone who like, you know, that sounds uh, horrifying. And it was horrifying. No, totally. So here's the thing. So there are some due diligence that you have to do. So the first step in investing is actually not getting a broker. So the first step in investing is actually calculating your willingness and your ability to take risk. Sounds to me that your partner is sounding from, okay, I have lower risk tolerance personality-wise. Yeah. <laughs> you shouldn't just be feeling it. There's actually a questionnaire that you can measure, answer the questions and measure, it measures whether your risk tolerance is low, medium, or high. I can actually give that question or like the whole risk management, the thing to your uh, audience if you like. And then, so that is your, your willingness. But then the more important part is your ability to take a risk. And this is something that a lot of people just guess. Majority of my students are shocked to see the real results of their ability to take a risk. Because I have students who come in and like, oh, you know what? Like I have such a low risk tolerance. And I'm like, my, my family came, didn't come from money. We're very modest. I have really, really low risk tolerance. So I give them the risk management toolkit and they like just put, put in the situation, answer the questions. And they're like, oh my God, I actually have really high risk tolerance. And then vice versa, I have people who are like cocking, like, oh yeah, I have, I have very, I can go, I go to Vegas all the time, I have such high risk tolerance. And then they do the due diligence, like, oh no, like I literally cannot put this much, like more than in this much in my, in my investment portfolio. So understanding that is going to take the emotions away and that's going to allow you to just let it go. With your 5 million, what would happen if there was a crash? It is. There is I a know. Right now. I, believe me, I look. You're the one not looking. I'm the one looking. Well, <laughs> I look today. Today was actually my day of investing. I, I, I'm buying. Really? Oh, yeah. I'm buying, but I'm not like, so I, I have a system. So I, I set. So here's the thing. The markets are emotional. The markets only go up and down because of the people's emotions. So I still like, I'm very careful what kind of stocks I choose that I'm like, okay, I'm like in my thirties. I'm like, 
I have a longer horizon for myself. So I select like medium risk assets for my daughter. I can take a little bit longer, more risk because she's young and she has the time and all the things. But then once I've selected the assets, then you go and look at the market psychology and you're like, okay, this has been going on up for like 10 years. It's time for it to come down. Markets are overvalued. And you can see if it drops based on the previous past performance, past market. And then because my risk tolerance is medium, my willingness to take a risk, my ability to take a risk is higher. I typically set like, so there is this thing called a buy limit order. Yes. What can we explain it to the audience? Yeah. So buy limit order is kind of like a crock pot. So, so you set it. Your system shows you that it could drop based on micropsychology to 90 or maybe even 80 and maybe even 70. So those are the key psychological levels. You can set it on the, on the app. On the app, like literally from your phone. Hey, hey, dude, like I want to buy like two shares of Apple when it, once it hits 90. Yeah, there's that. Or you can also say... Uh, hey, what if it goes below 70, we need to sell it. Don't do that. <laughs> really? <gasps> That's a trick. So stop losses. I used to work at a broker and I know that stop losses are a scam because every time you lose money, the money goes to the broker and the hedge funds wow. that are partners with your broker. That's just for, because they, they, you're scared. That's why I'm saying that. Yeah. Cut your losses. B.S. There is no value unless, okay, so there are strategic ways. If you're a hedge fund, you want to avoid paying taxes, you take losses. To Completely different story. For an average investor like you and I, cutting losses is BS. Wow. I, when I first started, uh, I had no idea what margin was. And I was um, just aghast to see that I wasn't using my own money when I was trying to figure out what was going on. Can you talk about that? And also like it, what the benefits and, and cons are of margin? You're asking all the right questions, all the right questions, like so good. So margin is another way that brokers scam you. So, um, yep, that's what I thought. So this is what happens. Margin is basically you're borrowing money. So you say, okay, broker, I only have 50 bucks. I want to invest. I only have 50 bucks. What do I do? And the broker say, and it used to be like a hundred times margin, which means like, oh, you have 50 bucks. We'll give you $500. You can like 10 X your investment. You'll just use our money and invest. And if you make money, you're going to get like a hundred times more the benefit. I'm like, okay, great. They have now cut it down to twice as much. Um, because like a lot of people like got serious into serious trouble. So, um, and then, so yeah, if you go on margin, use their money and make money, that's awesome because yes, you do get a hundred times more, but there is a flip side to that. And that's the reason why they also give you the stop losses thing. So this is the exact strategy. So they're like, Hey, we're going to give you the money. Don't worry. If, if you make money, it's going to be yours. If the market starts going the wrong direction, just use a stop loss. And you'll get out of the market before you like, you know, lose all of your money. And that's how they get the hundred times. So you are inevitably going to hit that stop loss because the markets are volatile. And you're investing their money. How does that make sense for you to make money off of that? So, oh my gosh. Oh, one of the things that the broker that used to do that I, that I used to work for. So they would actually give like grants to people. They're like, okay, the P, so this is, this is a Forex trading broker. This is like, now it no longer exists, but so this is the, so they hacked the people's psychology and they're like, okay, so we're going to give you, if you make, go in and use our margin and like make $25,000, we're going to double that money. And like, we had like winners and stuff. And I remember like asking my boss, like, how does this even make sense? He said, well, it's because we know that the people who get there and get our money back, they get too confident. They put all of that money now back in our broker and next time they're going to lose it. So we're going to get all of the money and their money back. Ah! Oh my God. So I, it was my job actually, like it was one of my jobs to announce the winners every month and we used to call them like the king. Is that, that's different from a margin call? Margin call is when you don't set a stop loss and you are on margin. And so 
then you lose all. I mean, regardless of that, a margin call is when you, you, the market has gone against you and you're not using your own money. Uh, so you have used all of our margin. So they're going to basically get all of the money that you had in that backing account. So that's why it is super important that you only invest the money that you have. So especially if you're starting with low amounts. So it's funny because this margin is typically set up to like lure in like investors with lower amount of money. Yeah, because people are evil. <laughs> I mean, so I mean, it kind of makes sense. But the thing is so right now, okay, I'm going to be honest, right? Transparency. So right now, because my portfolio is so big, my margin, I can use up to $2 million margin. So I have confidence in my income in my in my business. And then, so it's, and sometimes do dip into the margin a little bit. You dip into the margin as like a loan and then pay yourself back. I try to do it as soon as possible. Scary! <laughs> you have to be confident. So, I mean, you asked me, okay, how do you start with low amounts? First of all, you can start with 50 bucks. Just invest your own money. 50 bucks starting today in 65 years is going to compound into a million dollars, even at like bare minimum market average, all right? If you start 500 bucks per month, today you're going to get to a million dollars again compounding at bare minimum in 20 years but so it's great investing with low amounts is great start investing it's great but it definitely isn't fast enough no it's not fast you need money to make money which is so wild you need that so 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 there are actually some wealth creation investing is only one part of it and I, I learned that the hard way. So because I was like, okay, I'm just going to compound. And I was like coming up with all these amazing strategies. And I was compounding at a great rate. It was actually like I turned 500 bucks to $50,000 within three years, which is amazing. But $50,000 is like, it's not a million dollar status. And I was like, okay, like I, I had like the best investments in only like $50,000. And I realized like really wealth creation has three components. And they're all the three I's, the I cube. So you first actually, you, you need money to make money. You're absolutely right. And it is absolutely crucial that you increase your income. And the way you do it is you first invest in yourself to acquire higher income creating skills. Yeah, ideally. And, and that's the thing, because you can increase your income just with a side hustle. Like my business started as a side hustle. And I, so the way I invested in myself, I learned how to learn through a teleprompter. I started like making YouTube videos and then I reached out to other companies like, hey, do you want me to create YouTube videos for you? And they're like, okay. So you started, they started making, paying me money to make them. So I increased my skills. And by the way, English is my like third language. So if I can do it, you can do it too, right? So anything that like, right? So just, just get creative with something that, and typically the things that are like has to do with imagination or communication have higher value, like sales, marketing, you know, singing, like all these things can actually make a lot of money out of it. Anything that has to do with your mouth or your imagination, as opposed to like, you know, um, waitressing. Yeah, you can only work as many jobs as your body can do. Exactly. You don't want to put a physical resource over a limited resource, which is time. An unlimited resource would be, you know, like online, like internet is just amazing right now. Anybody can compound on their income. And then what's the, what's the other I besides investing? That's income investing. Invest in yourself, increase your income and invest that income. Yeah. Those are the, the, that's what the patience element of it um, comes to is that it's hard for me because it's a lot of patience, a lot of waiting, you know, um, but ultimately like that just comes down to your how how medium risk I happen to be because uh, I could go high risk and my friend is very high risk but she was like um, she was sort of like well uh, you the times that I've lost a lot of money is when I've gotten greedy <laughs> so I keep that in the back of my mind I'm like don't get greedy well and also don't lose stop losses Thank you. Um, thank you so much for being here. Where can people find uh, you and more about you? So the best place to go is actually that free masterclass. It's my most popular masterclass. Uh, it's free. Over 200,000 people have been through it. So just go to investdiva.com forward slash masterclass. 
it's a 90 minute class that I basically teach the exact steps I need to do. So some of them you have already talked about in your previous podcast, like the brokers and everything, but I also go through the buy limit order and like my system that I use it, like the magic thing that gives you the psychological levels. And then at the end of it, you're also going to get your risk management toolkit so that you can go in with confidence and then you can just set it and forget it and go about your day, invest in yourself, increase your income so that you have more money to now invest with your skill that you have now acquired. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. You are so welcome, Gabby. Next up, Anna-Sophie Hartvigsen hops on to talk about the systemic obstacles for closing the financial gender gap and a way of thinking about investing that is more global rather than US-centric. My name is Anna and I'm the co-founder of a startup called Female Invest. And what we do in Female Invest is that we are on a mission to close the financial gender gap by educating women on investing and personal finance. What does it mean to close the financial gender gap? So today, women are falling financially behind in every single country in the world. And what's so interesting is that when we look at why they're falling financially behind, then a lot of the factors are systemic. Uh, The fact that we don't get paid the same, um, we're not promoted to the same extent, and so on. And actually, the only thing contributing to the financial gender gap, which women can impact starting today, is how they manage their money. Um, So that's what we are focusing on. Oh, interesting. So, okay. So this is a worldwide problem then because you're in Copenhagen and a lot of times this show, other than one season we did that was very international, focuses on the US. So I'm I'm actually a little surprised to hear that this is like something that's going on all over the world. It is. We actually have paying members in 77 countries right now, including the US. So, I mean, we usually say we're not a company, we are a movement. And in the end, I mean, this is not about money. It's about freedom and independence. And that's obviously relevant to women all across the world. So what um, when you're talking about managing money, what do you mean by that? Actively taking charge, uh, not just by investing, but also by uh, budgeting, optimizing on debt, all of the things that we can all do. And then once we're ready, yeah, begin investing. Um, and there are so many things that can be done uh, in that regard. And most of them can be done fairly easily, actually. Yeah. So let's get into a few of those. Like, what are some of those steps that my listeners can take? The first thing to do is, of course, to get an overview of your finances. Uh, That's really important before you invest, because the money that you will be investing will have to be money that you can afford to keep in the stock market for at least five years. Uh, Once you've got that overview, then you need to create a trading account and to transfer money. That sounds like a lot of hassle, but actually it takes five minutes, 10 if you're slow. And then after that, it's time to make your first investment. And if you don't know what to invest in, then starting out with something that covers the world market is not the worst place to start because then you don't go down unless the world goes down. What kind of things uh, cover the world market? So there are uh, investment funds and something called ETFs as well. Um, And you can invest in some of those where they then cover a broad spectrum of companies from the world. I mean, people ask me all the time, you know, how they identify the best stocks or the best companies. And I keep telling them it's not about the individual investment that you make. It's about the broader picture. Because actually, if we just look at the past 93 years, then the average stock market return has been 10% per year. And what that means is that you don't need to know how to handpick the best stocks. You just need to know how to get on that wave and ride it. And you do that by having a diversified portfolio and investing in the world market. When someone puts their money in the account, then they have to then invest that money, which is a mistake a lot of people make. Um, And then you can't you can't look at it every day and worry, right? Like, what do you do next? The best thing you can do, actually, is to not look at it every single day. Because when you have a diversified portfolio, so when you invest in the market, then the hardest thing and the easiest thing at the same time is to sit back and wait. This is not a sprint. It's a marathon. Yeah, I uh, have to challenge myself not to look every day and then be so... Because, like... I did not realize how much it could fluctuate, but how much it has to be a long game. So like it feels very stressful when it like goes down $3,000 in a day, you know? So like, what do you do with those feelings? 
I mean, the best thing to do with those feelings is to kind of pack them up and then take them somewhere else. <laughs> I'm good at that. I, I usually actually recommend people to already when they make their investment, so when they press that buy button, already then they should have decided when they will be selling as well, whether that's at a point in time or when the stock has hit a certain uh, value. And then anything that's not that, any occasion that's not that, They just keep their hands off. So when COVID hits, when there's a war in Ukraine, we don't panic because we have that goal. We have that strategy. And then we go do sports or something. <laughs> do you, do you, what do you sell high and buy low? What do you do? So I've actually gone through different strategies. I was a day trader for a few years. You know, the full thing with like alarms on my phone, keeping an eye on the markets at all times. Um, but now what I do is that like I'm a standard long-term investor. I invest consistently every single month. I invest a um, the same amount and I invest it in the world market. And then I just don't touch it. Uh, and I've been investing for nine years now. Um, when I started, I was a waitress at a steakhouse actually. Uh, and now, I mean, it's completely changed at least my own financial situation. And now I'm heading a company with 23 full-time employees and we're helping tens of thousands of women do the same. So wait, okay. So how did, did you start just like making a lot of money just doing stocks by putting your like paycheck into stocks? Yes. So um, when it really took off, it was actually while I was a day trader, because then I would invest in a bit more advanced financial product with products with more leverage, so more risk, which is not, um, I don't recommend that for beginners, but I've been doing that for some time. And there actually would be days where I would come home after having worked at the steakhouse, I would be sweaty, you know, tired, like I worked minimum wage. And then I would come home just to see that my money made more money than me. <laughs> that was a time where I knew, okay, there's something here and I'm just done trading my time for money. Now I want to take charge myself. And that's when everything changed. What's a day trader? So a day trader is someone who trades every day, often multiple times per day. Um, it's someone who keeps their investments for a very short amount of time, sometimes only minutes, and then makes money of like tiny fluctuations. So if you if you're a day trader or if you're someone doing individual stocks, is it really like buy low and sell high? That's what everyone wants to do, right? Um, but in reality, it's just impossible to predict the market. Uh, I think these past two years have shown that better than ever. Um, so what I recommend usually is just relying on the historical knowledge that the stock market will in the long run increase. And then it's more important to get on that roller coaster than when exactly you get on. Right. Yeah. And and it's so hard because, you know, you want to jump on Tesla. You want to jump on. I mean, I don't because I hate that guy. But you know what I mean? So like, how, is it you have to be a little bit restrained? Well, it, it depends on how much risk you want to take on. But like, you know, the market will keep going. But like, do you know that Tesla is going to keep going? You know? So I think you actually just summarized it perfectly. I mean, you know that the market will keep going, but you don't know about the individual stocks. Um, so one way to go about it, if you want a mix of both, is to have kind of the funds as like the base layer or like some large companies providing like basic needs. And then that could be the core. And then you can have satellites of more risky investments, maybe 20%. And that could be Tesla or other trends that you see. Um, that can be quite a good way to go about it, actually. So I wanted to ask about dividends. Um, so do you think that dividend stocks are like more worth investing in? Or what? what's the strategy that people might do with dividends? Ooh, that's such a tough topic. And I know people are really divided on that. Um, actually, so we are three co-founders and we disagree so much. I can start by sharing uh, my own view and then I can share my co-founder's view. Um, so... For those who don't know, dividends are just once or twice per year uh, when companies uh, pay back parts of their profit to the investor. And for a lot of people, I mean, that sounds great, you know, free money in your account. Uh, but actually, it's not free because the stock tends to decrease with the same amount as you get paid out in a dividend. Um, and some people really like it, like my co-founders really like it because it means that they get liquidity in their accounts and then they can use that money to buy new things, which they really like. 
Um, for me, I don't like it because the money I invest is money that I want to keep in the stock market. And when those dividends are paid out, I need to pay tax, a dividend tax, which means that when I want to reinvest it, I then have less money to reinvest. And that really annoys me. Um, but it's kind of like there's no right answer. It's just a matter of timber and what you prefer. Hi, what do you mean you pay taxes on the dividend? So at least we do that in Denmark and in Europe. So in Denmark, for example, when I get dividends paid out, then I automatically need to pay a 17% tax, which means I have 17% less money to reinvest. And I'm not 100% sure about the US, but I would expect it to be kind of the same. And you pay taxes on any gains? Yes. I, lo- I I like it. It's just so it's so much to learn. Like it's so it feels what's what's so frustrating is that it is easy, but it is like why are there so many moving parts? But also it's like so much easier when you when you break it down, I feel like than it is to think about it as a whole. <laughs> Yeah, and then I think it's also just about kind of keeping your eyes on the ball because, as you say, there are so many moving parts. There are so many uh, roads that you could take. Shiny objects where you're like, ooh. Exactly, but in the end, it's just about that average return. Like, I really like the analogy that the stock market is a bit like the ocean and then you should view yourself as like a surfer. And if you want to catch that nice wave, then you can't just stand at the beach and look out because if you see the wave, it'll be too late by the time you're in the water. So you just need to be in the water. And then when the nice wave hits, then you'll be on it and you can ride it. Um, yeah. Uh, I like that. I, uh, I Surfing is also you get knocked down and you get back up again. <laughs> that as well. Do I automate some money to go into stocks every month like what do you recommend for that or every two weeks i don't know so i do it monthly actually so every single month i have an automatic transfer from my savings account and then onto my trading account and then on my trading account i have a function set up so that it automatically invests in some funds that i pre-selected and so that kind of just runs every single month like a savings account but in the stock market and then on top of that, maybe every second or third month, then I buy up in a single stocks as well. Oh, should you have most of your savings in the market? I'm very split. Yes. Yeah, I have most of it in the in the market. I think it also came like, I mean, now when running the company, I barely have time to, you know, check it every single day. And then I feel much more comfortable knowing that, yeah, I'm kind of covered with the average return. At what point do you take any of it out or can you or like what the idea is you take it out when you're like 70? So, I mean, that's all up to you. In theory, you could sell your investments at any time, of course, while the stock market is open and then have the money in your account right away. And we usually recommend that you have a time horizon of at least five years. And now that doesn't mean that you cannot sell sooner. It just means that if I know there's war in Ukraine and the stock market dips for a second, then you can afford to keep it there. So for for focusing on on women or even like, you know, I, I think of it as like a wealth gap too, where, you know, there's there's they don't have as much to put into the stock market or I mean, what what are some things that you could say for someone who's like, I'm really scared. I don't have as much money as like my male peers. And like, what how do I get how do I start? And I'm just like listening to this episode and panicking, which is what I would have done like five years ago. (laughs) There definitely is a wealth gap. But in the end, it's not about how much money you make. It's about how you manage the money that you make. I mean, just looking at my friend group, I have friends who make a lot of money, but who every single month kind of go into overdraft because they just don't know how to manage it. And then I have friends who make half, but their savings are much larger. They invest and they're just much smarter about money. So don't be fooled by that. Like often the people driving the biggest cars are the ones who are the worst uh, with money. And I mean, since I started investing and doing this for a living, like every single time I see people in like overly expensive clothes or overly expensive cars, and then I know what they do for a living, I just start doing the math. And then I'm like, wow, that's just stupidity on four wheels, like right there. Um, And I think, yeah, I don't know. So it's really not about how much money you make. And I would say 
even if it's just small amounts you invest every single month, then it can make a huge difference. Um, I started investing while I was a student, and obviously as a student, you don't have much, but still I put a little bit aside every month, even if it would just be like $50. And I studied for six years, and I got the average market return on that money, um, and that really adds up um, at the end. Yeah, we say on this show a lot, because the show's called Bad With Money, um, and I've said it in my book, and I said it you know, on the show that... The, you're not bad with money if you are low income or broke or poor. You're bad with money if you don't have awareness of what's going on. You you can make, you know, uh, six figures every year and still be bad with money. And it's often the people that have dealt with poverty the most that are actually pretty good with money. <laughs> yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Where can people find you and more about your work? Yes, so um, people can look us up on our website, femaleinvest.com, or check out our Instagram. Uh, we're pretty active there. We share a lot of cool facts, tips, and tricks. And that's just Female Invest on Instagram. Yeah, it's a great Instagram. Thank you so much. You're welcome. And thank you for having me. Have a nice day. I like doing these episodes that have tangible steps you can take and new words and research for all of us to do and learn. After all this time, I am still learning and sometimes I'm still learning the basics. I obviously do not have $5 million. You can rest assured that that's not what's going on here. I'm never going to be giving advice from that level of wealth. I know that now and I have accepted it. (laughs) But I do want to highlight from people who work in that space that a lot of this stuff is actually very accessible and doable for us. We just have to untangle our brains and believe that we can know the jargon. These people in the field make it seem like this vocabulary is all so far out of our leagues when it really isn't. Kiana talked about investing in dividend stocks. Anna-Sophie talked about focusing on the global market so if the economy one place goes down the tubes, you don't lose all your money. These are all things we can do and understand, right from the jump, as long as they're explained to us in a way that allows us to understand. Just... Don't be like me and check your investments every day. I don't know enough to be checking my investments every day. Maybe just check every other day. I would love to hear from you. Be sure to send me an email at gabbyisbadwithmoney at gmail.com or leave me a voicemail at 844-474-4040. You can also email me a voice memo if you prefer. Join our online communities too. We're on Instagram, Discord, TikTok, Patreon, and Facebook. Links to all of these will be listed in the episode description. And don't forget to listen to the show the day it drops so we can get on the charts and spread the word. It's very important that you do that. Also leave a five-star Apple review. I love those. And I will read them on our mailbag episodes, which come out every Friday. Okay, thanks. Love you. Bye. Done. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. 